Welcome back to Input Output, a Multiversity Podcast Network production. With me, as always, is Vince. I'm Brian, and we're going to be talking about a couple of albums this week. But before we get into that, Vince, we are recording this mere minutes from the start of St. Patrick's Day. And so I thought it was an appropriate conversation starter today to talk about some of our favorite Irish music, uh, musicians, bands from the Emerald Isle. Um, but uh, before we get into that exactly, is there any Irish blood in, in that up uh, in that Polish body of yours? <laughs> well, my last name is Ostrowski, so oh, that's uh, true. Uh, yeah, uh, that is a joke courtesy of my mother that she told basically every year. That I lived in her house. Yes, around St. Patrick's Day. Yep, it's terrible, and I I immediately apologize for it. No, (laughs) I'm 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 almost 100% Polish, so I don't think there's any Irish in me. Uh, My mom's maiden name is Murphy, Ah. but she's not all that Irish either. It's just one of those things where it was like the, it just kept passing down on the paternal side, but it's not actually. She's not all that Irish. There's a little bit Irish in me. Okay. Irish by way of Canada, actually, but. It's a whole other story. So, uh, Vince, what is your first Irish band or act of note? Uh, my Bloody Valentine. Yeah, I was going to put them on my list, but I figured you would. Yeah. So I, I thought it's a good thing to, to let you talk about them. But, you know so. me so well. Well, I mean, they're pretty great, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't have they don't have all that robust of a discography, but uh, Loveless... Uh, Loveless earns every bit of its, its praise, if you ask me. also pulled that weird um like faux guns and roses thing where we waited forever for the album but it came out sounding exactly like loveless kind of you yeah know? yeah uh, so like not really there wasn't the artistic growth that maybe you'd hope for but i think everybody was pretty pleased with it i liked it i liked yeah. it i love that like wall of sound you know dream dreamy shoegaze type music you know and they they do it as good as anyone, so and it definitely well. volumes. Yes, yes, for sure, and that's how you're supposed to listen to it. So. about you what's your what's uh mine is is i i think as cheap of an answer as you're probably going to get <laughs> in this conversation uh but it's the pogues oh, okay. uh you know fronted by shane mcgowan uh you know 
not just a band from like My Bloody Valentine. There's nothing about them that necessarily screams Ireland to you. Sure. Whereas the Pogues are basically listening to a shamrock. You know, it's like <laughs> it's the most Irish thing you can imagine. Oh yeah, just as pleasant. Well, Jimmy Blyde, our monogain, the pub where I was born. He played it from the night time to the pace of early morn. He sold the souls of psychos and the men who had the horn. And they all looked very happy in the morning. But Jimmy didn't like his place in this world of ours. Where the other man brought storm and next and he had too many pairs. So it's sad to see the grieving of the people that I'm leaving. And he took their all for God knows in the morning. We walked into the station in the rain. We kissed him as we put him on the train And we sang him a song that time's long gone Though we knew that we'd be seeing him again I'm sad to say I must be on my way So buy me beer and whiskey cause I'm going far away I'd like to think I'll be returning when I can To the greatest little boozer and to Sally McLennan The years went by and twice the giants are growing Yes, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the two records that kind of everybody loves uh, Rome Sodomy and the Lash, and If I Should Fall from Grace with God. Gesundheit. Thank you. Are uh, are exactly as good as everybody says they are. Um, they also hold the the single best Christmas song ever recorded, uh, the yeah. Fairy Tale of New York. <laughs> Do you disagree? Well, that it it makes me. I gotta say, it makes me um, kind of cringe, and and you probably know why. So. <laughs> Hey folks, Brian here with a quick uh, PSA. There is a word that we are going to talk about in a second. We don't say the word. If you know the song we're talking about, you know the word. And I'm, I'm worried that I come off as cavalier about that word, and I want to make it clear that I am not cavalier about that word. It's a word that I think is very offensive and is a word that I would never use in a derogatory manner. Uh, I hope people listening will know what I mean in context, that I don't believe one word can destroy the worth of a song much like how I wouldn't say that another very, very terrible word undoes a great novel like The Avengers of Huckleberry Finn or something like that. It's a word that is unpleasant, it is unfortunate in the context, but I don't think it destroys the song. I know that's clear from what I said, but I am covering my ass here because I really wouldn't want anybody to think that I'm advocating for the use of that word in this or any context. Back to the show. The the one word choice. Yeah, I, I know it just. I know there's been explanation for that, and I just don't think it ages very well. And ugh. See, I'm usually that guy right there with you. Uh huh. But like, there is there is not a single song that makes me cry faster than Fairy Tale of New York. Yeah. Like it just it, it hits me in the right place. That's fair. I could have been someone. Well, so could anyone You took my dreams from me When I first found you I kept them with me, babe I put them with my own Can't make it all alone I built my dreams around you The boys of the NYPD chorus The singing go away, babe and the bells are ringing out for Christmas Day. But, you know, I would, I would, if anyone out there does not know the Pogues, I would recommend uh, the Elvis Costello produced Rum Sodomy and the Lash as the uh, as the place to start. So, uh, who is your second Irish band? Well, uh, it's an Irish artist, 
Uh, okay, Irish artist. Okay. Yeah, Van Morrison. Uh, we we're gonna have words here. I hate Van Morrison. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Brad, well, I'm gonna compose myself here. Okay, let me. Can I give you my reason why? Yeah, sure. Okay, so Van Morrison is lauded as this great songwriter, uh-huh. and yet I can't think of one Van Morrison song that doesn't have him cop out and just sing syllables for a good chunk of it. Oh come on! Like everyone, <laughs> because it's just like, it's lazy songwriting. He does it all the time, uh, uh, all the time. I will say Jackie Wilson says or says said is one of the great songs of all time. I won't give him credit for anything else. I do not care for Van Morrison. Bold stance I take, I know, but I, I uh, it's just it to me it reeks of like uh, Jan Winter bullshit. Like uh, looking back on something better than it really is. Wow. All right. So for my more uh, reasonable and cultured uh, listeners here <laughs> tonight, um, I'm going to recommend Astral Weeks, uh, which is Van Morrison's best album, if you ask me, and one of the best folk albums of all time, Brian Salvatore. And I'm conquered in a car seat Nothing that I can do I may go crazy Before that mansion on the hill I may go crazy Before that mansion on the hill But my heart keeps beating faster Yeah, my feet <laughs> You can believe that if you want, you know? <laughs> All right, let's move on. What's next? What's next? <laughs> uh, next for me is um, I'm actually going to, instead of talking about a band, I'm going to talk about three bands that all have one great song. Because I was thinking about it, and there's really, there's not a ton of Irish bands that I have a real connection to. and But I found that there's a number of Irish bands that have like one or two perfect songs. So I, I'm just going to list a couple of those perfect songs now. And then I'm going to let you talk about your third artist, and then we're going to move on. Because I don't have too much to say about this topic. But um, there's uh, the – and I know you're not a Prince guy. Ugh. But Sinead O'Connor's cover of Nothing Compares to You 
Yeah, is, well, it's way pretty, better than Prince, so... It's pretty perfect as a, as a song. I can eat my dinner in a fancy restaurant But nothing, I said nothing can take away famously short-lived punk rock band the undertones that have been the song teenage kicks i don't know if you're aware of that song mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 phenomenal it's quite quite good I'm going to throw it out for Ash, the uh, the mid-90s alternative band, specifically their song Jackie Chan. Or, no, Kung Fu, sorry, it's called Kung Fu, but it references Jackie Chan. Yeah. <laughs> Those those are my three uh, my three Irish uh, one hit wonders, but really really wonderful songs. Uh, what about you? Well, that's great. We didn't uh, we didn't duplicate on any of these, so nice. Um, yeah. So anyway, my number one choice is Glenn Hansard. You know, I he was on my list, but I thought you'd cover him. So ah, this is good. look at you know me too well. This is <laughs> this is getting scary. So uh, yeah, for anyone who's not familiar, he's sort of a. Uh, light folk rock singer at least that's what he's doing these days yeah he, he was in the frames yep he was in the frames uh he's been in a couple movies um, the commitments the one com- of my favorite films the commitments uh once are you have you seen mm-hmm. once i have seen once oh, that, that that movie makes me cry falling slowly yeah take this Falling slowly 
Yeah, I saw him and Eddie Vedder do that at uh, the 20th anniversary Pearl Jam Festival. Oh, wow. And, uh, and oh, it was a little dusty in that yeah. audience uh, <laughs> for me. But uh, anyway, yeah, he's he's got a great voice. I mean, he, he's one of those um, singer-songwriters that can break your heart with his voice, you know, like yeah. like the way that he hangs on certain lines or, you know, the, just the inflection that he, that he puts into his singing, um, really powerful stuff at times. He does a great version of fairy tale of New York. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> it, it, it's like, it's like, it's like my wet dream of music. It's him and <laughs> iron and wine oh. and, uh, Calexico. Oh, wow. And I, and I forget who does the female part. Somebody equally awesome. It's sure. really, really nice. Oh, I want to find that now, even though I'm not a fan of that song necessarily. One word in the song. Yeah, it bothers me, man. It just does. I can't, you know, I'm not going to apologize. I'm not that. asking you to apologize, baby. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, Glenn Hansard, I, he actually just put out an album last year, I think. And uh, Yes. And uh, it didn't It didn't make my, my top 30 list, but that it was quite keeps good, me I gonna be a long one I've been working my fingers to the bone Yeah, it's gonna be a long one But I'm paying my way Paying my way I've never really been disappointed by anything he's done No, he's he's... He's a talented, and I think uh, 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 he curates himself very carefully. I don't think he puts out anything that he's not 100% happy with. So Absolutely. Thought and strength and breath ain't much else left. Better have your All right, so uh, Vince, why don't you introduce us to our uh, our main topic of tonight? Yes, so I uh, I picked an artist that. Well, I don't know if you, are, were you not familiar with the artist or were you not familiar with the album? I was familiar with the artist in name and just general general style. Yeah, like, but I, I don't think I had ever heard a, a single note that she had played. Okay, so so my choice was Esperanza Spaulding's uh, Emily's. D plus evolution, as we've since found out that that's how you're supposed to pronounce that, um, which I think is interesting. That's a, I mean, we can talk about the album title if you want, but uh, you know, much like the album itself, that there's the opportunity for a multitude of meaning within the title itself. Um, but anyway, Esperanza Spalding is a, uh, a jazz musician. Um, who's put out a few albums now, um, but she's very eclectic. I think uh, I've heard a couple of her other albums, and they don't quite sound... Like, this is something... This album stood out a lot more to me than any of her, her previous ones. Um, you know, she she's done a lot of, like, 
covering of jazz standards, you know, in mm-hmm. the past. And um, I think you can correct me if if, you, if I'm wrong or if you know I'm wrong, but I think all of these songs on this new album are originals. I believe they are. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, so I I heard the album and I was I was kind of blown away, so I thought I'd suggest it and. And I'm kind of glad that you hadn't heard it because I I would love to know. I mean, going going through this podcast, I think I had an idea of how you felt about all of the artists that we've listened to so far. You know, uh-huh. yeah. But I'm delighted to to know that you had no prior experience with this one. So, what did you think of the album? Well, I want to say this first of sure. all. Uh, of all the albums we've listened to, this one has required the most listens. Not necessarily because I – it's not like I, I – like there are other albums I listen to more because I wanted to. I feel like I had to listen to this one more. Like there's just – there's a lot going on here. It's yeah. a, It's a very, very dense album. I will also say that this is the album that has – every time I've listened to it, my opinion of it has changed. Um but I think I'm coming down on the side of really disliking it. Really? Yeah, but I can't I can't decide if that's going to stick or not. Oh, my gosh. All right, um, all right. Yeah, I have a lot of reasons for, for how I feel, but I, I kind of want to hear what you like about it before I, uh, before I go into why I, I don't necessarily like it so much. Okay, interesting. Um, well, first of all, what I, what I really like about it is um, – what I like most about it is that it's sort of an exploration of the artist herself, but kind of an alter ego, you know, um, that Emily is, is her middle name and Emily has kind of become this character, so to speak, um, that she's kind of drawn upon for musical inspiration and mm-hmm. inspiration in writing this album. And that could easily sound pretentious. I mean, it kind of. I I I think it sounds pretentious. Me just saying it, mm-hmm. but I think there's so much that's like wild and varied about this album um, that I I want to believe her when she says that she taps into this Emily persona to to draw inspiration. Like I hear that, you know. I believe it, you know, whether it's a put on or not. I believe it. Um, I love how she she doesn't have like the most phenomenal voice in the world, but I like the tone of her voice. You know, it's. And, I agree. I I do like the tone of her voice. Okay, and uh, and and like it. If if you if you just if you isolate her singing from the instrumentation, it's very interesting because the instrumentation goes all over the place. And the singing, I think, is the thing that grounds it on just about every song. I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah. And and so, like, like it almost reminds me of uh, St. Vincent. You know, um, St. Vincent's one of my favorite artists. Um, Mine as well. Yeah. And, she, you know, she has very eclectic instrumentation. She does a lot with electronics and uh, and guitar you know she can she can really rip on the guitar you know she can throw a solo in there or whatever but then she's got these vocals that that kind of contrast with the complexity of the music you know her mm-hmm. vocals at least in her more recent stuff I, there back in the past like in her first album she was doing 
a lot of interesting vocal runs and things like that. But I think more recently she's um, found a very uh, rigid style with her vocals that she's been sticking with. And it kind of plays against the sort of artsy variety of her of her instrumentation or the m music that she chooses to put behind it. type feel from this album so I found a connection there and every every time I listen to this album I hear something new because there's so much going on in the background and she's got a great band and she's playing she's playing a bunch of different instruments too um, some of it's jazzy some of it's funky she's a bassist by trade and you can hear that on almost every track so I know you are a bassist, so you're you're probably gonna have a stronger opinion on that. Than I have I am. no I have no qualms with her bass playing. Okay, all right. Well then, well then, what do you have qualms with? Because I, I... the whole fucking thing, Vince. It's bullshit. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of kidding actually. I to me, okay. So let me back up here. Uh huh. I made the mistake going in of reading a little bit about the album, uh -huh. not like a review, just kind of a general overall, like an interview with her about the album. And I heard about this Emily being her alter ego thing, and I hate when artists do that. Uh, that that's Chris Gaines. No, that's... this is not Chris Gaines. Come on. What is this feeling? That's uh, the Emancipation of Mimi, the fucking Mariah Carey album. Like to me, it's just it's a really late. It, it's when an artist has lesser material and they don't want to put it out under themselves. So this is their alternate version. I'm not this. I I'm not saying that's the case with this. That's the general feeling I get with when an artist claims that. Sure. Um, but also she says like you know she's a jazz musician who tried to make like her alternative rock album. Uh huh. And this album just sounds like somebody playing dress up oh. in the in the shallowest possible way. Oh. It takes the worst parts of jazz, the worst parts of like the guitar tone is like Steve Vai 1991 guitar <laughs> tone. It's um, I just feel like it's somebody playing dress up. It's it's somebody taking all the worst elements of these different kinds of music. And, you know, there, there are so many attempts to sound interesting here. But no melody aside from one has stuck with me more than 10 seconds after turning it off. There is nothing about this album that I think is unique beyond the idea of it trying to be unique. Um, I don't think, for, for her being a, a, a good bass player, and she's a good bass player, I don't think there's exceptional musicianship on the album. I think everything falls into this really lazy pattern on it. There's a couple of really nice moments that I really like the this sort of spoken 
uh, rhyme thing in the beginning at the end of Ebony and Ivy. I think that's a really interesting mm-hmm. use of her voice. Ochre, Ivy, Brick, and the books built up by heavy luck crooks with unburdened minds of bastardized Darwinian logic projected as harsh evidence on backs and faces of our ancestral culprits wasted toiling as a majority on plantated crimes. We want to knock and climb brass rings of wisdoms and build our own hot breath kingdoms and make fuming passions rain down ash and hand out dirty white rules to wipe up and memorize and howl our own law hand me downs upon the class of masses and grin as each graduate passes on our synthesized words that sterilize natural Seeds grows on the mountain you can dig it with a silver Everything else on the album sounds like what a jazz musician thinks alternative rock should sound like, and it's disgusting. Oh, my God. It really, really bothers me. Oh, my God. You're killing me. The the things that save the album, to me, make it listen. I listen to this album like 15 times Uh in a week. Uh I listen to it twice a day, every day, to try and be like, all right, I'm missing something. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I'm I'm missing something here. What what am I missing here? And I, I. her voice is – I really like her voice. I think her, vo- her vocal tone is, is quite good. And I think that there is occasionally some nice interplay between her bass and the drums on the record. But overall, I think it's just – it is – it's somebody without an identity putting on a bunch of fake ones. Oh, man. See uh, – see, I approach the album differently from you, di- you too, and I, I wonder – you know, I I don't want to chalk it up to this because this seems like a really superficial reason why our opinions would be different. But mm-hmm. um, you read about the album before you listened to it, like Is one that... sentence about it. Like, oh, it wasn't okay. like I read a lot. I just read like a one sentence description of it. See, because and... I I listened to the album like five times, and then I read about it, and. After listening to it that that many times, you know, it it clicked with me, and yet there was something like elusive about it mm-hmm. in in the lyrics. I mean, the, there's still a lot of lyrics on this that are elusive, and maybe you would argue that maybe they don't mean anything. You know, I, I, they might mean something to her. They don't mean anything to me. Sure. Okay. So, but then but then after I read her interview, so much of it made more sense to me like the i liked the album already and then the puzzle pieces fell together because when i read her interview about it i think it was with npr um i was surprised at how unpretentious she made you know she talked about emily and identity and whatever you know but it was very much like Oh, you know, I'm just doing I'm doing what I like to do and that, you know, that's this is just where it came from. It's not Chris Gaines where he's putting on this he's not putting on this she's not putting on this costume and saying uh oh, I this is who I am now or this is who the album represent. You know, she's saying, "Look, I've got this muse, so to speak. It's just a, a thing that I like to play with. I had fun with it and it you know, an album came out of it. You know, it's not a put on in the way that you're implying, I think. I don't know if, if she's purposely putting it on, but to me, musically, she's putting it on. Okay. And like, that's the other thing that you see. You said, you know, this, 
and and she said this too that it's her alternative rock album. Uh-huh. I don't get that when I listen to it at all. You don't hear like the cheesy distorted guitar sound and think that that's an uninformed person's idea of what of what alternative rock sounds like. No, because I don't think the album. Yeah, there there are elements of that, but I don't think I th- I think there are elements of that within some of the songs, but overall the songs and the album don't sound like that. Like it doesn't sound like. I I don't agree. If if she says it's an alternative rock album, I don't agree with that as a listener. <laughs> I, I I agree with you, but I think there are elements on it that she thinks, like that that guitar tone to me really sounds out of place, uh, and that to me sounds like she doesn't understand what she's doing when it comes to if that's if let me rephrase that because she can do whatever she wants. As I've said last week about Kanye, she's the artist. I'm the listener. I'm not telling her how to do her job. But if she was going for a rock and roll sound. Uh-huh. She's like 15 or 20, no, like 20 or 25 years too late guitar tone-wise. Like, it, that, that guitarist tone, to me, sounded like a Doritos commercial. Like, just the cheesiest oh my possible God. electric guitar tone you could have. understated that and maybe you're i mean you're saying the opposite you know but to me it just it's i'm not gonna say it's like it blows you away in the mix it just stands out like a sore thumb in the mix oh, okay. like you know um and i i hate pulling this card because i don't believe it has anything to do with our listening habits <laughs> but i feel like i am somebody who has recorded a lot of music in my life and so i listen to a mix a little bit differently maybe uh-huh. You know, like, I can think of one specific recording, and if I had the balls, I'll drop a bit of it into this show that I did when I was a senior in high school. And I, I had this really cheesy keyboard sound in there. And it was, I, I actually recorded something in a real recording studio with, like, a real producer. And and I had these great instruments at my disposal, and I chose, like, the cheesiest sound. <laughs> and it's not loud in the mix, but that's all I can hear when I hear it. That's the thing with the guitar here. Like, it's not loud in the mix. That's all I hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is that cheesy electric guitar sound? I'm, um, I I must just be like more of a musical pleb, which is like that. I mean, that's absolutely true. I know nothing about like musical theory, or I can't play. And you know, I doinked around with a guitar, you know, ten years ago for for a while. 
but I don't know any, you know, mm-hmm. all I know is what I like when I hear it. And, um, right. And, uh, Again, I don't think that because I, because I, I don't think because I can play the guitar that my opinion is any more valid than yours. I don't, I hope it doesn't come off sounding like that. It's just, I just, I just, I just listen to things maybe a little bit differently. Yeah. No, because I'm, of experience. I'm just saying, I guess it's probably a blind spot for me, but nothing about it to me. <laughs> nothing about it I mean nothing about it to me stood out as cheesy or as, like Dorito like Doritos commercial is something I never would have I, I I could go back and listen to the album and I'm sure I won't hear that you know yeah and again it's not loud in the mix it's just it's there and it bothers me I know uh, I spe- just don't yeah speaking of things that bother me the song titles are terrible I know that shouldn't matter oh, at all on. but like Earth to Heaven Rest in Pleasure Noble nobles, funk the fear, elevate or operate. Like those are terrible, terrible song titles. That's and, now, and again, now you're just now you're just being harsh. No, but here's what I'm saying though. I feel like that goes into this idea of like creating this false creating this house of this house built on sand of a record. Like there are so many things that she's trying to do that I don't believe she believes. And I feel like the song titles are representative of that. Oh man! Like it's just it's just this flimsy, false. I don't. I just I. And again, like I'm somebody. I I listen to a lot of jazz. I love jazz. I don't particularly care for vocal jazz. Maybe that's part of my issue with this too. But I just feel like if you put on paper, like okay, bass player, check. Jazz influences, check. Female voice, check. These are the things that I love in music. A, a, approaching an album from different sonic places check this was like if on paper this is an album that i should love and yeah. i by the end of the album every time i was like when is this fucking thing over because i'm eight minutes in and it feels like i've been listening to it for six hours oh, um, yeah. yet there were moments of yet there were moments of transcendence on the album i really did like certain parts of it okay but as a whole i it, i can't take it i just i can't do it Interesting. Okay, that's wow. This this might not only be so we've been <laughs> to take you behind the curtain a little bit. We've been uh, keeping a list of albums that we listen to throughout the year in a document that that Brian and I sort of go, go back and forth and add to. And it's it's I would say it's not often that you and I disagree all that much, right? No, sometimes one of us will like something versus the other one will love it, or one of us will say it's not for me, and then we'll say it deserves a second listen. Like, it's not really... Yeah. We're, we're rarely... Not many... Yeah. We're really split that much, yeah. Right. But I think that... I mean, we've listened to, like, a, over 100 albums now on the year. This is going to be the thing that we disagree with most, I think, all year. Because The I'm, year is young, Vince. I know, but I love this <laughs> album, like... And this, this has not staying for me. power for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, let you know what? So we've hammered on it a little, or you've hammered on it a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I do want to hear about some of the parts that you like, though. Um. Okay. I, I really like that. Like I mentioned before, the, the sort of introduction to Ebony and Ivy, uh-huh. which, again, a terrible song title. Um, well, that's based, because that's based on a book. I mean, you can't blame her for that. It sounds like it's based on Ebony and Ivory. and uh, Well, the book title probably was. <laughs> exactly. That's what I mean. Like, just, I don't know. Um, but I, I didn't really do a lot of research into the lyrics. I was not aware that was based on a book title. Um, but 
I really like the introduction of that. I feel like that that was the first sound on the album that I felt like I hadn't heard before. Okay. Like that was something really interesting. Um and uh I think that the song Judas is probably the strongest song on the album. It's the one that melodically sticks with me the most. Mm-hmm. That is one that I like a lot. And that is one that reminds me most of St. Vincent probably. I want to talk about St. Vincent for a second. Okay. Uh, I love St. Vincent. Yeah. Maybe my favorite guitar player currently putting out records, Uh St. Vincent. I think she's an amazing guitar player. To me, she's somebody who absorbs new – like, for instance, the the last record she did, uh, just titled St. Vincent, was probably the most electronic-influenced album she had, right? Would you agree with that? Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, And she incorporates all that stuff in a way where it feels like – it almost makes you think that it's always been there, but it's just bubbling up to the surface a little bit more. It feels very natural when she takes on new things. I guess maybe that's my biggest and again like I, I'm not opposed to you know Neil Young made a fucking vocoder album and like, I, I'm all for him doing that strikes me as very insincere yeah I, w- um, I wonder if you'd like her earlier stuff then i want to go back and listen to it i do um and again like I, I i i hate coming down on somebody who's trying something new because i think that the music industry needs way more ms spaldings than they need like an indie rock band that i like like she yeah. is you know i think that she's a, a net positive in the music world this just doesn't track for me sure um, but yeah, I really like Judas a lot, and I, I could I can see the Saint Vincent comparison a little bit there. And then, um, other than that, a couple little little moments here and there that I I can't necessarily pick out as like a whole song to recommend. Those are the two songs I'd recommend off the album: okay. Emily and Ivy and Judas. Those are my two my two jams, if you will. Uh, what about you? What are what are a couple of the songs that you really that really speak to you? Okay, so I, w- I would have named both of those um, kind of for the same reasons you do. 
and uh, and then I I like the opener. I like good lava um, because of how weird it is, and I think it's. I I will say that that is a song that will either right away put you off the album or draw you in and say, yes, I want to hear more of this. I want to hear all 14 songs, you know, (laughs) but like I could easily see somebody listening to that and saying that it's not for them. I didn't have that experience. I thought, okay, this is interesting. Where's going to go from here? Oh, it's going to go in the same boring direction for an hour. Okay. Cool. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Because I just, like, all right, I guess that's the part, like, that, that, going back and reading, like, her inspiration for making this album, then that opening, then Good Lava made total sense to me. Like, I understood what Lava was and what she was feeling, you know, like, this inspiration pouring out of her this like feeling inside of her that she needs to let see see you you are presenting this as if you think that like this is a put on which you know that's... i don't know if uh, that, that i mean no? I, to me it sounds like a put on i don't think that she's insincere in her attempts here i just think that instead of well finish what you were saying well i was just gonna say like like that is when the creative outpour made sense for me. Like, like have like reading her interview and then coming back and listening to Good Lava right off the bat again, and saying, "Yeah, I can totally see that. Like, I can see this, this, these things inside of her that that she wants to get out that are different from what she's tried in the past, and that are a little more wilder or a little, you know, offbeat. Not this idea of uh, you know, jazz that you've come to know or whatever. And, and that, that comes out right in the very first song, you know, and the, the lyrical content is kind of about that feeling too. And I got it at that moment, you know, mm-hmm. but you're saying that you, you don't think that that necessarily comes across or maybe it does. It just, to me, there, there's a big difference. There's a, there's a huge gulf here between what she thinks is different and interesting and what I think is different and interesting. Sure. And, you know, it just, uh, again, I feel really bad bagging on this album because I, I, I think it's a, I applaud her for trying it, uh-huh. you know, but one of the things that you and I have talked about is that, you know, when, when, when I'm putting together these out, these episodes, I, I make sure that I own every song we're going to use sure. because we have fair use rights to use up to 90, 90 seconds of a song uh, totally legally and all that, but I, I still want to make sure that we're supporting these artists. And like, this is a $12 MP3 download. <laughs> and I just feel like I have not spent $12 on an MP3 album in my life. Yeah. 
let alone one that I'm probably going to put on a shelf for the next 50 years. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah, you don't have to do that. Brian. <laughs> it's already done, dude. It's a, oh, it's a done deal, but that's, that's, that's part of, that's part of my commitment to the show here. <laughs> but you know, the, um, to me, it just sounds like she's like, okay, well, yeah, I, I want to make this sound, you know, more rockish. Okay. Well, let me get a, a, uh, a DOD super distortion pedal and plug that in and, it's going to sound like rock and roll. And I just feel like there's a lot of elements here where it seems like, okay, like my mom doesn't eat Mexican food. But if I said to her, like, hey, mom, make me Mexican food, she'd be like, I'll make a taco. She knows what a taco is. But, like, she wouldn't know what flavors make a good taco. Sure. She would just put some beef in a tortilla. And I feel like that's this album. Like, she doesn't know what makes rock and roll except for a distortion pedal. And so that's what's put there. And, again, I don't want to sound like I'm – I keep coming up like I'm insulting her. I just think that she misunderstands in some ways what 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 certain things are here. So you think that Emily's D plus evolution is a packet of Ortega taco seasoning? It's no, it's not even. It's it's somebody who forgot to put in the taco seasoning. Oh my god. Uh, okay. Well, the other song I would recommend is uh, <laughs> is is uh, Unconditional Love, which is probably the most conventional song on the... Actually, it's certainly the most conventional song on the album. Yeah, it is. It like, is. like, if you were going to sell a song as a single and, like, you were going to get it played on the radio or whatever, it would be Unconditional Love. We could change the whole story of love Same old play I'm getting tired of No Just as leave it unconditional love We could change the whole story of love Same old thing, I'm getting tired of No more acting these predictable roles Just as leave it unconditional love Like I can totally hear this song being played on like NPR or mm-hmm. like adult contemporary, you know, but in, and in that way, it's not my favorite song on the album, but it's the one that I would recommend because I feel like if good lava is going to turn people off potentially right off the bat, unconditional love is like the inoffensive thing that you could slip them to like, make them think that it's oh it's just some easy listening thing or whatever you know but i really like her vocals on it like a lot like the 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 lyrics i mean it's all in the title you know i mean it's very conventional but her vocal runs especially like in the chorus are so interesting that and affecting like i i think that song is genuinely affecting in a way that a uh pop song that doesn't try to do too much can be Mm -hmm. you know and so i would recommend that too um her vocals on that song are particularly strong yeah so anyway those are a couple other ones that i like um i think the back half of the album is a little bit thinner than the front half it's it's kind of this is kind of a front-loaded album um but nonetheless i like it a lot um uh, and and Brian doesn't. So, <laughs> uh, any any la- I, Oh, go ahead. 
What I was going to say is I feel like, first of all, this was bound to happen eventually. <laughs> right? Like, like we were bound to find a record that we weren't going to I'm not mad. I'm on. just disappointed. I'm sorry, pal. You know, this this uh, this uh, is definitely not where I saw this. Like, last week I was very excited about the uh-huh. prospect of, of digging into this album. And, uh, you know, I'm... I'm slightly less excited about that prospect now, but I, but but I do think that I am glad I listened to it, uh-huh. if only because I think it sort of reinforced certain feelings I have about jazz in 2016. Okay, and sort of maybe the like. Uh, okay, here's here's an example. I think you're gonna understand. Nothing on this album sounds remotely as rock and roll or as jazz as anything on Black Star, the Bowie record. Mm. Okay, that's fair, yeah. The Black Star combined those two things perfectly. And yeah. this doesn't this doesn't hold a candle to that. Okay. Uh and to me I guess that's maybe part of it too is that uh I feel like there's already been a really good mixture of jazz and rock and roll this this year sure um that's completely fair and i i would say i would say i agree with that and you know black star i certainly like black star more than this for its brevity um boy if this were trimmed to like 10 11 songs or whatever i would like it even more than i already do i think Mm -hmm. you know but um but yeah, I totally get what you mean. Yeah, I can. I that's a fair point, Brian Salvatore. Um, I I will say this also. Uh, I I think this is a really interesting record to listen to after the life of Pablo and Pussycats. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say this is kind of a a weird, not an analog, but you know. There's something about this that kind of, you know, if Kanye is like a super indulgent artist, I mean, well, I don't know if I have a point here, but you go ahead. No, I, I just think it, it, it's very much a, uh, it's very much an album in need of an editor. I think, um, you know, like you said, if you pared it down a little bit, I think it'd be a stronger album. And I also think it's somebody who is supremely confident in their own talents in both a good way and a way that maybe blinds them to what's really going on. Okay. Yeah. I I, I have to say, I am am genuinely excited to go back and check out her old albums. Well, that's good. And, And I'll be genuinely excited to hear what she does next. I just, you know. You just thought this was a misfire. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's fair. That's fair. I'll get you back when we listen to like Bob Mold or something in the future. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want you to pick things. No, I know. Like. I know. I know. I'm just kidding. And that, and that actually ties in pretty well to I think what we're gonna listen to next. So. Ooh, all right. What are we gonna uh, listen to? Let's let's wrap this up. Um, do you have any th- final thoughts on this? No, I think I've said it. I think I've heard your feelings enough. So. No, you haven't hurt my feelings, Ryan. No, 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 no. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Anyway, what are we listening to next? What did, what did you pair with this? Did you change your pairing 
Did you have about one? About 50 times. I just decided on this while we were talking right now. Oh, boy. I had another album up until about three minutes ago. Okay. Um, so I wanted, you know, I wanted to, to present some more jazz. I thought it would be interesting to pair it with another jazz record. Um, and I wanted to pair it with something that was as ambitious as Emily's D-plus evolution is. Uh-huh. And I wanted to pair it with what maybe my favorite jazz musician is also a bass player. So all of that comes together in the 1963 Charles Mingus record, The Black Saint and the Sinner Lady. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a four. It's only four tracks on the album. Each one is a little mini suite. It incorporates elements of uh, Latin music and of dance. And of a lot of not very jazz stuff, but it's a super like dense, densely packed album, and I think it will pair well with this. Wonderful. So, are you? Do you have any familiarity with Charles Mingus? Yes, I have familiarity with him, but you know, I couldn't. Uh, I've heard plenty of his music, but I, I can't tell you if I've ever sat down and listened to an album of his before or not. Okay. This is this is not necessarily representative of him. As an artist, which is another reason I picked it, I think it's a bit of an outlier in this catalog. Uh-huh. Much like I feel like this is probably an outlier in uh, in Ms. Spaulding's catalog as well. Okay. So, yeah. The Black Saint and the Sinner Lady. All right. I look forward to it. All right. We'll be back in uh, a week for us, but just a few precious seconds for you. Okay, we didn't break up in the week that uh, <laughs> that was passed, but we're back with second part of episode five of Input Output. We are talking about the magnum opus from Charles Mingus, The Black Saint and the Sinner Lady, which came out in 1963 on Impulse Records. And uh, yeah, so let's talk sort of initial opinions because you know i i kind of mentioned in the preamble last week that this is an album that i've i've owned for a long time and i'm a big fan of and i'm a huge mingus fan and uh if my wife would have liked the name i would have liked to have named our son charles partly because of charles mingus charles mingus salvatore yeah i don't know if i go with mingus the middle name i would like to but i don't think she would um no understandably mingus is not the, the nicest name (laughs) <laughs> uh, on the on the playground, I would presume, you know, it turns into dingus really easily. Yeah, <laughs> Let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah. Um. But yeah. But this this is an album that I I really really genuinely love, and I think is very interesting. Um. What did you think of this album, sir? Yes, I loved it as well. Um. I think uh, <laughs> this is gonna sound uh, under uh, this is gonna sound to be an underhanded compliment. Okay. But um. I love its length. So it's four tracks, and the last one is about uh, 18 minutes long or something. Mm-hmm. 
because it's a it's a sequence of it's three it's really three movements of this piece right yeah. it's really three movements of this overall piece um but but regardless it's still only like a 40 minute album roughly you yeah know? and the thing is is that i really enjoy jazz but when i listen to music um especially if i'm not that familiar with an album yet mm-hmm. or, or a piece of music I like to sit and absorb it all. I don't like to have it go too long or just, you know, drone off or like lose my concentration on it. And then I forget, you know, suddenly the album's over and I forgot the second half of it, you know, right. Right. Or a thing about it. I can't say that about this album. This album was instantly memorable in large part due to its length. Um, but also Mingus is some of the most interesting jazz that there is out there. I Mm -hmm. think, and I thought that before giving this several honest listens, you know, uh-huh. um, I don't think I've ever listened to one of his uh, pieces of music all the way through, but I've heard individual tracks, you know, mm-hmm. um, I've certainly on the radio, on NPR and things like that. Um, hearing it as an entire album, it, it was astonishing to me how interesting it is all the way through. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, plebe when it comes to uh to jazz really you know i enjoy it but i I can't i you know i I don't really i'm not educated in it you know Mm -hmm. and uh and i it just occurs to me how interesting and different how unique his his uh imagination is you know yeah well i mean i I think what needs to be said for for folks and I, i do hope that folks at home are playing along and that they pause the show in between and listen to the album. But, you know, I, I can't tell them how to enjoy their, this show, but hopefully they're doing that. But if you haven't heard this album before, you know, it is, it's certainly, there are elements of it that are absolutely jazz elements. But there's also elements of, like, classical music in here. Flamenco. There's a lot of flamenco guitar. Yeah, exactly. And it's written as a dance piece. It's written, I don't think it was ever finished as a dance piece, but it's written, there are parts of it, you know, each track has a label for how, like, you know, the first track is for solo dancer. Second track is for duet solo dancers, you know, and so it's meant to be danced as well. And so there's a bit of that in it as as well. And it's really this interesting amalgam of American and, you know, European music up to a certain point. Um, obviously there's no rock and roll influence. There's no like country influence, but almost all other American music is represented there. There's a little bit of, of a, uh, 
sort of uh, like you know, there's there's blues by way of jazz. There is there there are elements of classical music, as I said before. Especially the first couple of tracks are so intricately arranged that it really does remind you of like a small ensemble, a small um, orchestral ensemble playing together. Um, it's interesting. I, I I was talking to our mutual friend Walter Richardson, and I asked if he had ever heard this album, and he said, "Oh, you mean the greatest piece of American music ever composed." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay. So you you clearly have an opinion about this album that is that is pretty strong." But I think it is a very very strong piece taken as a whole, and I think it's one of those many albums that maybe doesn't doesn't work as well in pieces as it does altogether. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess I don't know. I, I, I listened to it all together, you know, maybe five times. And so I guess I don't know how it would, uh, how it would sound broken up. I don't think it sounds bad broken up. I think it just each, each piece builds on the one before it and, and yeah. suggests the one after it to a certain degree. Yes. And it very much is, well, as you said, it's, it's, it's created as a, da- a, a, a you know, an album of dance music. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could you could almost imagine a set of dancers uh, performing it for forty five minutes straight. You know, mm-hmm. flowing from one song into the next. In yeah. fact, I I was sitting at work today listening to it, and I was imagining that uh, happening, um, like the playful little boy I am. <laughs> um. <laughs> um. You know, one of the things I think is dangerous when listening to music is creating like the story in your head of the song and then reading about what the intention was behind it. And there really isn't too much out there. There isn't like a little prose essay that says, you know, here is what the story is about. It doesn't. But the song titles are pretty are pretty evocative. Um or rather the song subtitles cuz the the songs are called track A solo dancer track B duet solo dancers but each one has a subtitle so for instance the first track subtitle is stop look and listen synergin with Jim Whitney and it's um to me the first track is very very longing and melancholy and it really has this um this immense sadness to it sense of, of of melancholy to it when you first heard that that opening track yes i i definitely did and i uh i i try to stop myself from putting too much upon the music that i listen to you know mm-hmm. um it's it's easy to listen to an instrumental piece and say oh i hear the sadness here i hear the i hear the confusion and torment that the the artist was going through you know right because without without lyrics and without 
especially with the with an artist uh, from so long ago that you don't necessarily have a touchstone with anymore. Um, it's difficult to know. You, you don't want to make presumptions about what their music meant. You know, mm-hmm. um, you don't want to do that to an artist today, really. I mean, but so I, I, I don't like to say, you know, oh, I definitely hear that this is a melancholy tune, but I would be lying if I said that that didn't occur in my mind as mm-hmm. I was listening to it. So, you know, without coming out and saying what I think the artist was feeling when he wrote this or, or drawing upon you do get a sense of the emotions for sure. Yeah. And you know, the, um, there are a couple of things about Mingus that I think are important to mention here. Mingus was a notoriously angry person. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he did not necessarily get along well with other musicians all the time. And he, he was very quick to bring up race in his conversations. Uh, he, he was, oftentimes advocating for a fairer treatment of black musicians. He felt that black musicians were discriminated against because of the color of their skin. And I found this really interesting quote from Mingus where he's talking about when he was a kid that his father used to preach prejudice in his house that because the Minguses were lighter-skinned black people that they were superior in some way. And that it was only when he was a teenager and he met a Hispanic girl that he was, uh, you know, friendly with or infatuated with. And he went to her house and some neighborhood kids who were, who were Hispanic called him uh, the N word and said like, you're not going to let you rape our sister and all this. And he didn't understand what was going on. He was confused. He said, but don't they realize that I'm light skinned? Uh, And it was like this moment of realization for him that, Oh wait, that's just another form of prejudice that he had, that he had accepted, you know, in in his life before this point, and so I think a lot of a lot of Mingus's stuff comes from this this place of really thinking and caring about race, but he does it in ways that are. Um, I mean, there, there's nothing on this. I, I don't think if you put this album on for somebody and didn't get any, you know didn't give them the title and didn't give them any context, I don't know if they would necessarily hear race in it. But I think when you know that going in, you can't help but hear certain bits of it as being a commentary on race in some way, even if that's very very hard to do without any words. Sure. Or without any real, as you said, you know, he's somebody who died in the '70s, so there's not. It's not like we have interviews with him the way we'd have interviews with him now, you know. Um, right. Esperanza Spalding released an album a couple of weeks ago, and here's a jazz artist that isn't a household name, yet you could find 50 articles online talking about her new album. That just doesn't exist with these older albums. So there is a lack of context there, but I think especially if you read the subtitles of the songs, you can, you know, there's a lot about slavery and freedom within the uh within the the subtitles of the songs and i don't think that's coincidental i think it was meant to be in some ways a story about uh you know the african-american experience in the country uh not necessarily in the 60s when this was recorded but perhaps using the the terminology of a hundred years ago to, to speak a little bit of truth about what mingus and his ilk were going through as black musicians in the sixties. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. Uh, you know, there aren't a lot of interviews as you said, but I did read one quote from him that kind of, uh, 
relates to what you're saying. And it, it's also something that's that's pretty prevalent in like political discussions today, which is that he felt that it was his experience that gave him a lot of the inspiration behind this music. Mm-hmm. And that and he thinks that um because of that, like if he did if he grew up white, you know, with a lack of prejudice in his life and a completely different experience that was maybe easier, you know. Mm-hmm that he wouldn't have had the same inspiration for this brilliant music that he created. You know, mm-hmm. those are my words, not his when right. I say brilliant, you know, he, he wasn't patting himself on the back. He was just saying, you know, that inspiration might not be there at all. So whether you can hear it in the music or whether you just understand that that's where it's coming from because of, like you said, the subtitles or because maybe you saw a quote here or there from him, you know, that informs your listening. Absolutely, and, and that, and then you pair that with what you hear, and and then you can make that leap, and you can imagine, you know, mm-hmm. okay, I can see what he's saying, I can see where that fits in. Um, uh, another great quote that he said that I want to get out before I forget about it uh, is that this particular album, mm-hmm. um, he described it. I don't have the direct quote, but he because I read it in some article earlier today, but. He said he described it as a, a documentary or something to that effect of the moment he was born until the moment he first heard Dizzy Gillespie. I think it was. <laughs> chronicling of that you know and i really like you know i don't necessarily know specifically what that means to him you mm-hmm. know but i i like that epic scope in nature when applied to a listening of this album you know it's, yeah it's that's 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 quite a grand thing to say you know yeah um there's a uh, an album that mingus plays on it's a trio album it's duke ellington on piano mingus on bass and max roach on drums and these were three of the biggest jazz names of their time but all three from kind of different generations max roach and ellington were sort of the elder statesmen and mingus was a little bit younger than them mingus had famously been thrown out of ellington's band for getting into a fight and supposedly the recording session broke down at one point when mingus stormed out of the studio and the ver- the first song on the-, the album is called Money Jungle, and the first song on the album is called Money Jungle, and I forget if it's, I want to say it's the song that was recorded right before the fight or right after the fight, but you can hear in Mingus is playing this like visceral anger in his bass playing, and it sounds like he's attacking his bass with a hammer, like it's and again it's not dissonant, it's not like noisy in a way that we would consider rock music today sometimes be noisy it just sounds like a guy who's fucking angry and is taking it out on his bass
not only able to do that as a bass player, but I think as a composer, his music is very emotional. You know, I think you listen to um, the second track on the album is the the subtitle is Hearts Hearts Beat and Shades and Physical Embraces. To me, it sounds like a film noir score. It sounds like a smoky room and uh, a man and a woman embracing you know, in front of some Venetian blinds with uh, with a little bit of light coming through them. It just, it evokes this this really, really clear scene of, of uh, physical attraction. You know, it's one thing if he's the soloist Mm -hmm. and the solo is evoking those feelings. But as a composer, he's able to write those feelings into the score. I I find it very, very fascinating. Yeah, for sure. And the the percussion, I'm glad you mentioned that Um, sort of the rhythm section, uh, the the bass and the um, drums are so interesting on this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the way that I I love how how. Uh, you know, emotional, emotional, the instrumentation is, but then if you listen to the drums, I, I kind of paid attention to the drums on one of my listenings and it's amazing how they keep the time of, of the music and yet they seem almost random at times. They almost seem like not random. That's a, that's a bad word. That's a cliched word to use, but, but, um, they re- they reminded me they made the connection to something like Captain Beefheart. Like, okay, uh-huh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they're off kilter. They're, they're not off, yeah. They're, yeah, they're off beat. Beefheart and Frank Zappa took a lot of their inspiration from jazz musicians and things like that, mm-hmm. and uh, and you can you can see how the backgrounds of some of some of these jazz songs could end up 
getting skewed a little more and then becoming something truly strange. So she right. can't wait yeah. in clothes. I'll go to the beach. They laugh at her body cause her hands are too small. When Big Jones sets up, her hands are too small. She's out of reach. A turquoise scarf and silver rolled up over a Merc Montclair. Um, whereas, if you're listening to the piece as a whole, you don't necessarily notice that, or at least I didn't, until I kind of isolated and listened to it. Mm-hmm. And and the bass and the drums just stood out to me as something truly unique in in all the jazz music that I've listened to. This is also one of the first jazz albums to incorporate overdubbing, uh, although much of it was recorded live in the studio in one day, which is incredible to me, too. <laughs> Uh, what was that? Sorry. I just I just laughed. I, no. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, one day in New York City, it was recorded, essentially. And there were some overdubs done on there because Mingus wanted it to be perfect. And, you know, understandably so. He, um, he says in the liner notes at one point, you can throw away all other albums that I've made except for this and one other. And he doesn't say which one he meant uh, by the other <laughs> one. But, you know, obviously this was an important work to him. And I think it's a it's a work that clearly is personal in ways that maybe he doesn't quite get into in most interviews. Uh, did you happen to by any chance see the liner notes for this album? No. It's interesting. There are, there are two different sections. The first one is Mingus, and he really talks about each musician in the band and sort of what they bring to it and his personal relationship with them. But the fascinating part to me is the second half of the liner notes were written by Mingus's... Uh, psychotherapist at the time oh. <laughs> and he uh he asks his therapist to to write about it and the therapist i as i think you might guess you know reads into a lot of what he's hearing and i sure. wonder how much of the public opinion about what the album's about are is true versus what this therapist thought it was about and people just took that you know at its face value sure yeah um that's really interesting yeah, but Mingus was somebody who was who was in therapy for quite some time and was very open about it, and seemingly was pretty open about many many parts of his life that perhaps people at the time would not have been as open about. Um, so here's a question for you as as you know a, a self described uh, you know jazz plebe, um, although I wouldn't say that about. It. I think you have uh, a lot of interesting insight into. All kinds of music, and I, I mean oh, that geez. sincerely. But um, you know, did you? Does this feel different than other jazz that you've listened to in the past? Because to me, it feels while there are certainly still improvisational moments on it, it feels far more composed and put together in a way. Yeah, these feel like these feel like uh, classical suites by way of jazz music. Yeah, um, really. To to me, um, is that a but- good thing? Yes, it's a very interesting thing to me. Like like I said, I can, you know, normally when I picture jazz, I picture the classic like flapper era playing in a, a little nightclub somewhere, you mm-hmm. know, and maybe people are dancing. This, I 
saw as a much more formal performance. that sort of setting and the exception to that i would i would reiterate is the the rhythm section the yeah the, you know that's where the unique it's not necessarily improvisation although who knows how much was and then he wrote it you know right who knows what the process was but it sounds vital and it sounds it sounds improvisational you know mm-hmm. and uh and and that's interesting to me but you're right. It it does very much feel like a piece of classical music more so than it does some swinging jazz, you know. Right. Uh, it has a formalism to it. It fa- it feels very formal. It feels very put yeah. together. Uh, which I, I don't love that term, but I'm struggling to find <laughs> a term that that, that fits better. Uh, you mentioned the flamenco influence yeah. before. Uh, I can't think of another jazz. I mean, there are other jazz albums that have Spanish sounds to it, but this has like long, long stretches of flamenco guitar, yes. and uh, I, I think that it's an interesting accompaniment to the album. But one I wouldn't necessarily expect to hear. Did that? Um, did you enjoy the flamenco influence? Yeah, I did. Um, it t- it kind of took me by surprise. The first, like, I thought I almost thought it switched to another album on me mm-hmm. <laughs> at a certain point, you know. But uh, but I thought that was just so unique too. It's just like, well, again, I thought of, and this <laughs> this feels like like a really simplistic comparison to make. But I thought of the Nutcracker. Okay. Where at a certain point in in that ballet, you you see or you hear different genres of classical composition from ba- you know based on a variety of uh, uh, different countries mm-hmm. you know there's the russian dance right. the um, chinese dance i believe it's called or something like that um, so it it almost reminded me now i'm not saying this is the nutcracker i'm just saying it made me think of that and i thought well, this is this is insight into a very specific region of the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Like like if you primarily think like where was where was Mingus from? 
again. I, you might have mentioned. I, that. I'm not sure. I, I know. I mean, he was from the United States. I know. I, I let me let me investigate. I keep talking while I look that up. Sure. So basically, what I'm saying is, you can hear this regional. I mean, jazz. Jazz is usually associated with certain regions of America. Usually, when you think of of music from this era, right? But but then it's interesting to hear this album expand to include um, some Spanish influence in that in that way, you know. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think like it makes me think of this regional spreading of the music. Or uh, so he was born in Arizona. Yeah, I was just I just um, the same thing. Yeah. So so I mean, this is this is very American. Uh, jazz that we're listening to, but then you know it's it's spreads a little south, and you can hear different influences come in, and I think that's that's fascinating. It's it's not out of place because you have to imagine that these kinds of musics were or this kind of music was commingling, right? You know, in reality as well. Yeah, and it's um. I think that the idea of it is more jarring than the reality of it. Like, like when you hear, oh, yeah, there's flamenco elements. I don't know how it's going to work in this context. But when you hear it, I think it does work very well in that in that way. I, I don't think it – I think it jumps out in a fun and interesting way. It doesn't jump out in a jarring way necessarily. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's jarring for the first listen, but well, I certainly you, enjoy it. Yeah, I don't know if jarring is the right word, but I was like – it was unexpected, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um it's it's an album I think that I mean I think most records benefit from uh sitting down and spending a lot of time with them. But I think something like this where I don't know if you listen to this in the background while doing the dishes or whatever, if it would have the same impact on me. Yeah. Well, that's true because <laughs> To give you a little insight into my day, I, uh, I I made dinner and I was listening to this. Mm-hmm. And in that context, it sort of faded into the background, and it was, you know, a it's very pleasant. Ple- it was yeah. a very pleasant jazz experience. But you you really understand how unique Mingus is when you sit down and give it attention. Yeah, you know. But I guess that's a, isn't that another positive thing you could say about it? Like. You can put it on in the background, and it sounds like perfectly normal jazz music that is accessible to anyone. Mm-hmm. But when you sit down and listen to it, you start to hear some of the intricacies and what makes it unique and different. Any parting thoughts on uh, the Black Saint and the Sinner Lady? No, I guess I'm just I'm glad we listened to it, and um, and I really like <laughs> I like the diverse nature of our choices so mm-hmm. far. Yes. Um, you know, there's going to come a day when, when it's it no longer makes sense to say like, "Wow, we've been pretty good so far." Because, but you know, this is only our what fifth episode. Yeah, yeah. And we've already listened to a variety of different things, um, different genres, different backgrounds, and uh, and stuff that I would normally not sit down and take the time to listen to, and now I will because yeah. we did this so. Um, I'm, I'm, I thought, I thought this week was especially strong. I, I really loved this album. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, what will we be listening to for next week? Well, 
Uh, we are going to listen to a band from my neck of the woods. Um, I, for those that don't know, I live in Minneapolis. Um, and so we are going to listen to Polisa's United Crushers. Okay. I'm only vaguely familiar with Polisa. Yeah. So, um, well, they're kind of a uh, synth rock band, uh, mm-hmm. huge, hugely popular in Minnesota, but they're gaining a lot of bigger popularity um, in recent years. So um, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to listen to for next time. forward to hearing it yeah um so if people want to hear about more fun minneapolis stuff going on where can they follow you on twitter uh you can follow me at vj underscore o-s-t-r-o-w-s-k-i and uh right now because of batman versus superman you won't be hearing anything about minneapolis unless uh superheroes come to town and destroy my whole city oh okay and and then you will um (laughs) And uh, you can hear about all of the happenings in uh, uh, northwestern New Jersey on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. You hear all about how I have to uh, I have to do some lawn maintenance soon. Uh, you sound like you do need a nap. I do. I'm, I'm tired, man. I've I've been up since. Uh, I have a newborn baby in the house, so I've been up since the quite early morning. But that's okay. So does Polisa. So there you go. What what is that? They've been... <laughs> the lead singer of Polisa just had a baby. Oh, look at that! Is yeah. my wife the lead singer of Polisa? My wife. <laughs> well played. All We're right, folks. Have Earwolf Podcast Network. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, uh, everybody, go out, listen to the new Polisa record, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.